Friends, good morning. Uh, we're going to move into a time now of hearing from God's Word. We're reading this morning from John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And that's on page 1081 of the Church Bibles in the seats in front of you. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, and this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. My name is Nathan, I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matt's. I think it would be hard to argue against the idea that we live in the connected age. Do you know what I mean by that? Like with just a simple tap of a screen, we can connect in a whole raft of different ways to people all over the world. It's quite incredible. My wife, Belle, and I uh, got given a voucher for dinner a few months ago, which we, we finally got to use back in April. And across just a few hours of that afternoon and evening, Here are all the connections that were involved. Firstly, I used my computer to track down the website and make the booking. Two minutes later, my watch told me that I'd received an email. I checked it on my phone and saw that it was a booking confirmation from the restaurant. And with just a single tap, I was able to add that to my calendar. Very handy. My mum, who we'd lined up to babysit the kids, good on your mum, She messaged me to say that she was running five minutes late. As we were getting ready, I checked the weather on 
on, on an app on my phone, uh, sorry, my watch, just to make sure that we were going to dress appropriately for the evening. 20 minutes before we were due at the restaurant, my phone sent through the traffic conditions, an estimate of how long it would take us to get there, and it suggested the route that we should take. Isn't that thoughtful? Once we were seated, I took a quick photo of Belle, and then I sent it through to the people who had given us the voucher as a way just to say thank you. I then considered posting it to Facebook and checking in, but I didn't because really who cares about the fact we're eating dinner. At the end of the meal, I used the voucher that we'd been given and then paid for what was left over by pay-passing my watch. I still get cashiers just shake their head at the fact that you can pay with your watch. It's pretty incredible. Now, the food was amazing that night, but if, if it had been terrible, I may well have just pulled out my phone at that point and left a scathing review on TripAdvisor. And then as we were walking home, my trusty watch gave me a little digital pat on the back for reaching my step count that day. And that helped me feel a whole lot better for all the food I just ingested. Isn't technology grand? Now that is a lot of connections, isn't it? In just the space of a couple of hours. Connected with the restaurant, my location, the weather forecast, messaging people across the state, social media, my bank, even connected to my own vital signs. And all that in just a single evening and a couple of hours. It's crazy, isn't it? it really is crazy. Now most of those connections are about convenience, saving us time. Some of them are pretty trivial connections like posting photos or restaurant reviews to social media. And none of them are really all that important when you think about it. Like, we, we really could have gotten by without them. Sometimes, though, sometimes connections can actually be the difference between life and death. Now, look, I've just got to say, I'm sorry if, if it's kind of sounded a bit like a, an ad for Apple so far. I can assure you that there's nothing in it for me, unfortunately. But did you know the newest Apple watches have the ability to detect if you fall over? And after registering that you've fallen, the watch will actually monitor your movement. Sounds a little creepy, doesn't it? And if it doesn't register movement within 60 seconds, it will dial triple zero, and an automated message will inform emergency services of your precise location. Isn't that crazy? That is exactly what happened to 67-year-old Toralv Ustvang. This Norwegian gentleman credits his Apple Watch with saving his life. Authorities discovered him bloodied and unconscious after his watch made an automatic emergency call in the middle of the night. It seems that he'd fallen, he'd fainted in the bathroom, and he'd sustained three facial fractures in the process, and it's scary to think what the result may have been had he not been discovered as quickly as he was. How crazy is that? And you know, there are dozens and dozens of stories just like that across the internet of people crediting their technology with having saved their life, connections being the difference between life and death. Now, in today's passage, John chapter 15, the idea of connection is at the core, though it's connection of a different sort. 
2,000 years before Steve Jobs ever put iPhones into our pockets, Jesus, on his final night with his disciples, he takes a moment to press upon them the benefits of being connected. This term we've been on a journey through John's Gospel, chapters 13 to 16. These chapters have really invited us to take a place at the table right alongside Jesus as he spends one last night with his closest mates. And it's literally just hours before he would go to his death. This is a night of immense importance and it's chock full of significant moments. Our passage this morning is no exception to that. And Jesus begins by telling his disciples a parable, a vegetation illustration. That that takes us through verses 1 to 8, kind of spells that out. And then in the last part of the passage, verses 9 to 17, kind of puts the plant talk aside and he applies it to them. This is what it actually looks like, he says. He paints the picture and then he tells them how to actually live that out. I am the true vine, Jesus begins. I am the true vine. Now, Jesus has actually already made six I am statements before we get to this point throughout the rest of the gospel. You might remember some of them if you've been with us over the last chunk of time. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And today, I am the true vine is the the seventh and final of these statements. Now, it probably seems a fairly harmless thing for him to say, doesn't it? But notice, he doesn't say, I am a vine, does he? He says, I am the true vine. And it's important. You see, there are a bunch of times throughout the Old Testament when Israel, God's chosen people, when they are actually referred to as a vine, and in almost every case when that happens, it's, it's used in the context of judgment. They're being slammed for their lack of fruitfulness, for their lack of obedience, for their lack of compassion, for their lack of faithfulness to God. Here's one example from Isaiah chapter 5. This is God speaking. He says this, What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. See, when Jesus comes and he starts declaring himself as the true vine, what what he is effectively declaring is this. Where Israel failed, I will succeed. Where Israel remained fruitless, I will bring forth abundance. So his claim to be the true vine is actually a claim to be true Israel. True Israel. And that is exactly what we heard just two weeks ago, if you were with us, when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, in the Old Testament, that was Israel's job. They had been the way to the Father. Now that job becomes God's Son. He is new Israel. As I said, in the Old Testament, when you talk about vines and vineyards, you're often also talking about coming judgment 
about God's wrath. And it's exactly the same here. I don't know if you noticed. There's a, war, a word of warning straight from the get-go. It's, it's how Jesus starts off his parable. It's kind of hard to miss, actually. Take a look with me at verse 2, if you've got your passage open in front of you. Jesus says this, He, as in God the Father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. It's quite simple at one level. There are some who will be cut off and some who will be pruned. Now the word for pruning there kind of sounds violent, doesn't it? And uncomfortable. The original word used is actually meant to kind of cleanse, to to cleanse or to clean. So by pruning, the gardener is kind of tending to these branches. He's preparing them for more growth. He's cultivating them in other words. So on the one hand, there are those who will be cut off. On the other hand, those who will be cultivated. The pressing question for us, of course, is this. What is the difference between the two? What is it that separates them? And the answer is right there. It's fruit. One of them is bearing fruit and the other is not. I don't know how that makes you feel (laughs) to hear that. I don't know what you thought when we had it read for us before, but I think it sounds a little bit ruthless, don't you? A little mercenary, you know, like that boss who is only really concerned with you hitting your KPIs. You only, yeah, ever had a boss like that before? They're only interested in the output, in what's produced, and what you get done. And with them, there's really only two options. You either grow or you go. You grow or you go. I mean, it seems pretty tough, doesn't it? Is that really how Jesus is describing the Father here? Is that actually what he is like? A ruthless gardener who's really only interested in the size of the yield. You know, you miss your quota, next month you're gone. I think Jesus certainly does have judgment in mind here. I think he does. Like in verse 6, it gets even more hectic. He describes them as a branch that is thrown away and withers and that such branches are actually picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. (laughs) He's definitely talking about judgment. But what's most helpful, I think, is for us to understand the basis for that judgment. Really helpful, I think, if we can understand that. Like, is it actually based on the fruit itself, or is it based on something else? One of my sons got given his very own garden for his birthday. He was over the moon, very proud of it. And as part of the present, his, uh, my grandmother, his great-grandmother, who happens to be amazing in the garden, she gave him a bottle of this stuff, go-go juice. When I first saw it, I was like, did you just gift a bottle of poison to my five-year-old son? And it's called juice, it's like, for real? (laughs) But it's not poison, I found out. It's a probiotic mixture of kelp, seaweed, fish, and manure. Well, that's much better, right? But nothing says happy birthday like liquid manure, right? (laughs) But no, it was a very sweet gift. He was thrilled, and she absolutely swears by it. Apparently, it, it really is miracle growth in a bottle. So what's our go-go juice? What is the secret for our fruit? 
What's the miracle growth formula? Well, the answer, Jesus tells his disciples, is connection. Being connected. The word that's used here in our passage throughout is is remain. Remain, remain, remain. It's in there 11 different times. First, it appears there in verse 4. You can read on. It says, remain in me, Jesus says. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It's got to remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. There's the go-go juice. In older translations, the word you might have heard before used is abide. Abide in me. That means to kind of dwell with or stay within or to remain amongst. But you know, we don't really use the word abide anymore. So we've got remain. And I like remain. But I also like connected. Remain connected to me as I remain connected to you. And I like the word connected because it fits so well with the image that Jesus is, is, is painting for us here of a branch and a vine that are connected together. Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you because you see this connection is mutual. It's a mutual thing. It's not one connected to the other, but the vine and the branch are mutually connected. They're intimately a part of each other. You see, the vine feeds nutrients and life into the branch, and in turn, the branch yields the fruit of the vine. You see that? It goes both ways. It's a partnership, and the task is actually completed by this intimate connection, one that is feeding and sustaining, the other which is growing and bearing fruit because of that precise feeding and sustaining. So you see, the fruit is, is simply a sign of life. It's the outworking, the byproduct of the vine's life as that life courses through the branch See that? The fruit is the sign of life. So as the gardener cuts off those fruitless branches, it's not because they lack fruit. It's because they lack life. They lack life. They're not drawing life from the vine. They're already disconnected from it. So the gardener's chop of judgment is simply confirming what is already the case. There is no life in this branch because it lacks vital connection to the vine. Friends, we're not talking about gardening tips here, are we? We're talking about Jesus. Jesus, who is the true vine, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Elsewhere in Scripture, we're told that he is the author and the sustainer of life, which means without him, there is no life. Well, not for very long, at least. I mean, how long can a branch survive when it's been separated, disconnected from the trunk? It can't. It simply can't. And neither can we. Jesus is saying, neither can we, unless we're connected to him. Unless we have connected ourselves to the true vine, that is the only way true life can be found. So even more than an Apple watch that is capable of calling the ambos when you've taken a tumble, connection to Jesus is truly a matter of life and death. It really is. It's the difference between hope and despair. 
It's the difference between peace and worry. It's the difference between confidence and fear, between God's gracious forgiveness and His just judgment. Being connected to Him really is a difference between life and death. And so I wonder, are you... Is His life coursing through your veins? Now, by connected, by calling us to remain in Him, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about relationship. Having a relationship with God that's more than just knowing about Him, but actually truly knowing Him. A relationship that's active and growing, that's deepening and widening and maturing. And not just knowing him as your mate, right? But knowing him as your Lord and as your King, as the one who made you. And then being willing to submit yourself to his rule. To confess that you have neglected the relationship. To say sorry. To ask for his forgiveness. That's what it means to be connected And the good news, of course, is just like those NBN pamphlets that we're all going to be getting in our letterbox shortly, the connection is ready. It's available right now. That's why Jesus came down to live and to die and to rise again, so that our connection with God might be restored. And when it is, it's a mutual connection just like a branch and a vine, as you bind yourself to him, he's already bound himself to you. As we heard last week, right, when Bruce was speaking to us, God's spirit can now dwell within us, abide within us, life itself to feed and sustain and to guide, it courses through us. And we, in turn, Jesus says in our passage today, through that connection, we'll produce the fruit of his life-giving spirit. The fruit. We'll come back to the fruit in a little bit. But if you're sitting here this morning and you know you're not connected to God and you're starting to think maybe you want to be, if that is you, can I encourage you to find someone to talk about it after the service? Like track me down or, or to talk to Bruce or to Scott or to Cezanne or maybe to one of the prayer team who are going to be here on your right after the service because being connected to Jesus really is the difference. It really is a difference between life and death and it's totally worth doing something about because the connection is ready. What about the many of us here this morning who know we're connected, who have been connected to the true vine, maybe for many, many years, just like the disciples were? I mean, what does Jesus say? He says, remain, doesn't he? Remain connected. So there you go. No, of course not. It's easy to say, isn't it? It's hard to actually execute. (laughs) I'm sure some of you know this, but the most recent iPhones can actually provide you data on your screen time, how long you've been on it for, right? That's scary, isn't it? I took a look at my stats this week, and I'm willing to show them to you, but only in the strictest of confidence, okay? Please resist the urge to check your own stats and compare. I don't want to hear how much worse I am than you, okay? There you go. 
you can see that over the past seven days, I've spent five and a half hours on my phone a day. That is a lot of connecting, isn't it? It's up 20%. And I put that down to uh, two things, the NBA finals and uh, the World Cup of cricket. <laughs> I don't know if, if your level of connecting where that falls, you know, maybe it's more or less than mine, but one set of stats I found this week from as recently as just January this year suggests that this is an issue for us all and that it's only an issue that's increasing. Per day, the average Aussie spends five hours on the internet. On average, we spend an hour and a half on social media as well as three hours watching or streaming TV. That's every day, on average. Another study I found claims that all of us consume at least 10 hours of media every day of the week, on average. I think a question worth asking this morning, and I totally ask it of myself first, is this. Do your many connections end up getting in the way of the one connection that truly matters? Do your many connections end up getting in the way of the one connection that truly matters? Because the truth is, with all that screen time, right, 10 hours of media a day, with all those hundreds of connections that are happening through your day, through my day, with all that screen time, where is the space for your sun time? Now, that is such a lame pun, but it's such an important question. (laughs) One of the hats I get to wear here at St. Matt's is is as the weddings minister, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll get together with the couple a bunch of times before the actual wedding ceremony, and we'll work through some material together. It's always a joy to do. But one of the tasks we do together at the start is I get them to come up with a wish list of things that they would like either more of or less of in their relationship, and then they share them with each other. Um, Without a doubt, eight times out of ten, one or both of them will want to spend less time on their devices and more time with the other. Almost every couple. uh, Now I'm surprised when they don't say it, (laughs) to be honest. What a massive irony is that, right? The technology that connects us with so many people in so many different ways, and yet if we're not careful, it can actually end up disconnecting us from those that matter the most. Isn't that crazy? And if it can do that to a marriage relationship, how much more can that do that to our relationship with God? To the one we are trying to remain in. You know, I wonder if perhaps as connected as we are today, perhaps we've lost or we are losing the art of being alone. Do you know what I mean by that? On the way to work, while exercising, while doing the chores around the house, whatever it is, you know, we we always find the time to consume, to be connected, to check notifications and updates and emails while we're doing all these other things. You know, I realized this week, I don't wait anymore. (laughs) Is that the same for you? I don't wait anymore. When there's time, 
I'm, what, checking headlines, the latest posts, catching up on the next few minutes of a podcast I might have been listening to. I fill the time. I fill that time with stuff. Why is that? Maybe it's because we're not comfortable with silence. We're not interested in reflection or contemplation. You know, one theory I read this week suggested that we've become so intent on filling every spare second with noise and input and distractions because the moment that we stop is the moment that we're alone and that's the moment we have to face ourselves. And deep down, we're actually afraid of what might confront us. Isn't that interesting? You see, the truth is, it's only when we stop, it's only when we've got the space to think and the time to reflect in the silence that we will be able to approach God to examine ourselves with honesty, with a spirit of repentance and a willingness to to listen carefully to His Word and to come with, with prayer requests that go deeper than just the surface level that I know my prayers too often remain at. When did you last spend time like that with your Heavenly Father? Without the screen, without the distractions and the noise, how have you been deepening your connection to the one whose connection matters the most? Even if it's only like 15 minutes, that's something. Even if it's only just in those small gaps of time in the day when you're waiting, that's something. Even if it means deciding to leave your phone at the front door when you come in of a night because you don't need it with you. Or maybe deciding to go screen free on a Sunday. Or starting a journal so that you can actually write down some of your reflections in that time. Or getting up 10 minutes early, just 10 minutes early in the morning so that you can share a tea with God. Whatever it might be, just try something. Try something. We spent a lot of time this morning talking and thinking about connection. And I think that's right because that's what Jesus is really trying to impress upon his disciples. Remain in me as I remain in you. Be connected. Stay connected. But we can't finish this morning, I think, without talking about fruit, even if it's just very briefly. As I said at the beginning, today's passage starts with Jesus and his vegetation illustration, but it ends with him really fleshing out what that looks like in real life, and what he gives to his disciples is really a big old bowl of fruit. Verse 10, he says, keep my commands, because bearing this fruit means obedience. Bruce touched on this last week. It means letting God set the agenda of our obedience rather than just us picking and choosing what we like to to obey and to follow. Those who are connected to the vine will obey, Jesus says. Verse 11, he also says that my joy might be complete in you. What a sweet tasting fruit joy is. A spirit of rejoicing and praise that springs out of our contentment in Christ. We have joy. Verse 16, Jesus points to the fruit that will last. I think that's a reference to mission. Helping to connect others to Christ. How good is that? What a privilege it is to do that, isn't it? 
seeing souls saved into eternity, fruit that will last. And then the biggest fruit in the bowl is the one that hangs above the rest, so much so that Jesus commands it twice. What is it? It's love. And of course it's love. Of course it's the bananas. For love is what sits at the very core of the connection that we share with God, doesn't it? As the Father has loved me, Jesus says in verse 9, I have loved you. I mean, let that sit for a second. All the love that the Father has for the Son, like that's unfathomable. Jesus says, I've got that same love for you. How much more unfathomable is that? And we know it's true because only a few hours after uttering these very words, what would, what would happen? That love would take Jesus to a cross and his death. That's how we know it's true. Friends, when we have that kind of love coursing through us, how can we not respond by loving those around us? May we be those who bear much fruit. And may we be branches that always remain connected to the true vine. Given how rare moments of silence are these days, I thought we'd end now not by praying, but actually by being in silence and taking a few moments to be alone in this space to confess, reflect, connect. Don't grab your phone out. (laughs) I know you're thinking of it, right? I want to check my stats and see what my screen size is. Don't grab your phone out. Just sit and enjoy and embrace this moment of silence. The band's not going to play any music. It's just going to be you in the moment. Take a few of those moments and do whatever you need to do. And I'm going to come back in a second. We're going to pray and then sing our final song. Let me pray as we finish. Father God, we thank you for your son, the true vine. We thank you for the words that we've meditated on together this morning in John 15 and we do pray Lord that for those of us here who need to be connected that we would connect with the one who has come down so that that connection might be available we pray that those those people here Lord would do something about that today and make that connection with you for the rest of us Lord we pray that we would be those branches that remain in you and that bear much fruit help us to take decisive action Lord so that our relationship with you might continue to be deepened and strengthened and widened to your glory we pray these things in your son's name Amen we're going to sing our final